It's so good to be together this morning. If, if you're a guest joining us this morning, we can't tell you enough how grateful we are that you're here. And we would love to get to know you more. No matter where you're sitting, we would invite you to join Section 4 for uh, Section Potluck in D203 right after the service. There's Raising Canes, so I mean, that'll get you there, and then you're going to meet some incredible people as well. So don't forget about your potluck. Can't wait for that. Also, if you're here, this weekend's a little bit different for us because uh, we're actually getting into what we're talking about for global outreach weekends. And so last week, Ryan Harmon spoke an incredible message from Matthew chapter 8 and challenged us and to begin with our, just the way we view and the way we live out uh, the gospel, and making disciples in this world. And if you missed that, go back and listen to that. But today we're going to continue on with that. And uh, I want to take you back just a little bit to start out. Some of you may go back just a little bit longer. Others might be uh, a little more recent. But you remember those days when you were in your room, and the next day you had this big thing. And so you're sitting there, and you're looking, and you're trying to decide and pick out what you're going to take for show and tell. You remember that? Some of you in retirement might be a few years back, sixth graders way farther back, but back in those days when you would take something that was so important to you and when you got to class, you couldn't wait to bring it out and show the rest of the class what you had and tell them about it. Today we want to talk a little bit about God's show and tell. So if you have a Bible, you want to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to start there. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul's speaking and he says this in verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all and therefore all have died. He says the love of Christ controls us or compels us. There's actually a lot of things that can control us. Think of bitterness or greed or jealousy or anger. When I was younger, I had the nickname Fireball you can believe it or not. And when I got angry, look out, it was not a pretty thing. The fact is the anger can compel us to do some things we wish we would have never done. But Christ's love can compel us to do things we never thought possible. So he's talking about this love because it moves, moves us, it motivates us. If ever there was a thing that we could say, this moved me, it would be his love. Because his love moves in and through us. It moves us into action. It's not just this theoretical love. It's this expressive love that starts to pour in and out of every part of our life. And he says that he's concluded this. He's convinced of this. He's believed this. It's rooted so deeply in his life that it's going to affect everything he does. And he goes into what that love has done, the gospel. He shares with us the inclusive and exclusive realities of the gospel. And here's what I mean by that. It says that one has died for all. That's the inclusive piece of the gospel. Jesus came to die for the entire world. His heart reaches out to every single person in this world. In fact, he says, therefore all have died. In essence, he's died all of our deaths for us. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and he died for all that those who live. Now, this is the exclusive part of the gospel. Because even though he died for everyone, not everyone will believe it. 
Not everyone will come to the same conclusion. Not everyone will accept the gift that he's done for them. But those who do, and their lives are changed. Those who do, he says, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We no longer live for ourselves. It's as though we've come and we've taken what Jesus has done for us and it's gone inside and it's taken our life and incited it out to a point where we say, God, you have everything. You can have it all. No matter what comes my way, I realize that I am in this with you and it is ultimately all yours. It doesn't matter about my title or my position or my stuff. That can come and go. But what I have in you, that is set. And so that while others who live for themselves may have a job change or may have a status change or may come into something that takes all of their possessions and they're wrecked by it, it doesn't impact me the same way because I'm grounded in you. What's the point that Paul's trying to make through this letter right now? He's not necessarily trying to just share what the gospel has done for them. He's already laid that out. This is a church that's been struggling. This is a church that's had conflict and, and deviated off course. And he's come and he's wrote them a letter. And then he's actually come in person to talk to them. He's poured his life out. He's set aside his status and become poor to just continue to bring the gospel to them. Why? His point is not only what the gospel does for you, but it's what the gospel now does through you. I love the way Dallas Willard spoke about this. He said, the gospel is less about how to get into the kingdom of heaven after you die and more about how to live in the kingdom of heaven before you die. Did you get that? Once you trusted in what Jesus did for you and you became a part of his family, he didn't just take you up to heaven to be with him. You're still here. And there's a reason why you're here. Because he has a job and a purpose and something he wants to do through you because you are part of his restorative plan for the whole world. And he wants to speak in and through your life. He wants to show others through your life what he's done for them. And so then he goes on to share a little bit more about what this looks like. From now on, therefore, and Ryan last week told us when there's a therefore, it's connecting these pieces. They're tied together. So because of this reality... Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, or we could say according to human standards. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What's he saying? He's saying that we don't judge like the rest of the world. No longer do we evaluate people on what they have or what they don't have, or what they've done or what they don't, haven't done, or the way they look. It's as though he's given us new eyes for the people that we see around us. And it changes the way we treat them. It changes the way that we care about them. In essence, he's taken us and he's transforming us. Paul says, hey, I know this firsthand. Before Paul was Paul, he was Saul. And he was this guy that had incredible religious status. He was a guy that had prestige. And when he met or others that had been transformed from Jesus, he thought Jesus was the enemy because their message was a different message than he had. 
And so what did he do? He went after Jesus. It seemed like he was a nobody from Nazareth, no status, and he was sharing this different message, this countercultural message. And when Jesus was nailed to a cross and died, he thought that just proved his criminal death. He thought that that proved that God was displeased with him. But in fact, God was transforming him. He used to view Christ that way, but he no longer does. He used to view just an elite people, the Jews, one way, but now he realizes that God has come to rescue the entire world. So what's that do? It continues to change and transform us in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. Paul's not saying that we just need to rethink stuff. He's not saying that Christians are just re-educated or that they're rehabilitated, or that they're rebooted or repaired. No, he's saying they're renewed. They're recreated. He's saying that everyone who is united with Christ gets a fresh start. And he's saying that this life that we now have in Christ is followed by a new way of life. And then he really starts to dig in what this new way of life looks like. Verse 18 And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciles us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself and not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Now, there's some big words that we kind of often only use in church in this section. So let's unpack a few of these. First of all, reconciliation. What in the world is he talking about through this? Well, Romans 5 tells us this. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. So much more now we are reconciled. Shall we be saved by his life? He's literally giving us the definition within this verse. Essentially, reconciliation is to renew a right relationship. It's to make an enemy a friend. And get this, it's not that God was an enemy with us, it's that we were an enemy with God. It's that there was brokenness, and we've seen this all around us in the world. We see death and decay, we see injustice, we see sickness, we see all of these people walking around that are estranged from God. All of these people that are enemies of God. And yet, while we were enemies, he came and he paid the price for the debt that we owed. When he says not counting their trespasses, it's this accounting term of calculating a debt. He speaks about that debt in verse 21. We had sin that we couldn't pay for, and yet he came, lived a sinless life, and took that sin on for us to make us right with him. This reconciliation begins to change everything. Reconciliation is the process through which we have peace with God through Christ. And so what that does in us then works its way out of us into the lives of others. He's given us a mission to do something with this reconciled relationship with God. We don't just keep it to ourselves. We don't just hold on to it as though it's ours and ours alone. So he gives us two specific things in here. He says he gives us the ministry of reconciliation and he entrusts us the message of reconciliation. 
Now, ministry seems like it comes to one more of those terms that we often just use in the church. We think of it as maybe ministry is a certain age demographic, right? The kids' ministry or the youth ministry, the adult ministry. Or maybe we think of it as something that we do just in the confines of this building. That I have a ministry, I serve in this ministry at 70th and Highway 2, right? The Old Testament ministry was often around an office in a particular location, For instance, in Exodus chapter 28, you see Aaron and his sons in verse 43, and it says that they went to the tent meeting and they approached the altar to minister. So throughout the Old Testament, there was a specific way that they would minister. But when we get into the New Testament, there's a different form of ministry that takes place. It's more holistic. We are all now priests with Jesus. So what's that take on? What's that look like? The Greek word for this is diakonos. Try that with me, diakonos. Right, that's a servant. And that comes in the form of diakono or diakona. And so what that sounds also like is like deacon, right? That's where we get this word from. So as the church was continuing to grow throughout Acts and they started seeing all the needs that were around them and they were worried that they were going to actually miss the tangible needs of the people that were around them, the people that were hungry, the needs of the widows that were around them, they instituted deacons that would help oversee the distribution or the ministry of giving food out or the ministry of helping the poor. And so in one sense, that was a form of ministry that we saw in the New Testament, but it goes beyond that. In some ways, it's specific. In some ways, it's, it's very uh, general. And the term actually during this day and age, ministry, referred to a waiter, somebody that would come and serve food. There's actually a quote from one of the Greeks at the time that said, how can a man be happy when he has to serve someone? someone?" Serving somebody was not something that gave you honor. A waiter for the table, somebody that was bringing in the food, that was the lowest possible position you could get. And yet Jesus takes this and he flips it and he starts to say, meeting the needs of others and serving in ministry, this ministry of reconciliation where I actually help with the tangible things that people need is what I'm actually giving you as a task. Mark 10, 45 says this, for even the son of man came not to be served, diakone, diakoneo, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then 1 Peter 4.10 gives us some specific ways that this plays out. Each of us has received a gift. You're wired some way. The Spirit has given you a way that you have a gift to use to serve, diakoneo, one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Ephesians 4 verse 11 and 12 says, And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of diakoneo, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Now, the the ministry of reconciliation plays out in all sorts of different forms. It's general ways that the church has of ministry of distribution, of uh, helping with food, or the ministry of the word, of teaching, or ministry of care, of taking care of tangible needs that are around us. But also is the ministry of giving. It's the ministry of prayer. It's the ministry of encouragement. It's, It's a lot of general terms. But as we're in 2 Corinthians, and we're reading, and you see he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. If we continue to read on to chapters 8 and 9, we see that this ministry is always tied to express itself in a commitment to meet the material needs of others. Bruce Larson says it this way. 
If any kind of personal relationship, if any kind of personal relationship with Christ, which does not involve us with a suffering world for which Christ died, is certainly an affront to the very Lord who is in his world suffering with all of his people. I found that the more that we understand that we can meet the needs of others, and that that's a part of the reconciliation that God calls us into, so that the ultimate reconciliation that he will do in someone's life, the thing that they can't do for themselves that he has done through his death and resurrection, often meeting their needs opens up their heart to the greater needs. Just a few months ago, my wife and I took a trip for our anniversary. We were able to actually go to this island, and we had it all mapped out. We had a few different uh, stops along the way, and we had a limited budget. And so we decided we're going to go to each of these places. And we, and we got to one spot, and we were trying to get in line for a ferry to get to the place we needed to go, and there's this guy right behind us. And as he's standing there, he realizes that you can only pay in cash, and he doesn't have that. And so he's, I can hear the conversation going on, and, and as I get up, I realize that I can take care of his ticket and the person with him as well. And so we do. And all of a sudden, this conversation strikes up. He asks us if we want to go to this restaurant afterwards. So we go to this restaurant. We're continuing to talk. And then he asks us to come the next day. And all throughout this, I'm starting to realize that God's doing something. The Spirit's whispering to continue in this. So my wife and I go home that night, and they had invited us for lunch the next day at their place. Well, we had plans. We had this limited time and stuff we wanted to do, but it felt like God was doing something in this. So we thought, boy, we could show up and feel like idiots. Maybe they didn't really mean it. We're going to show up at their place. But we felt like God said, do it. So we did. We showed up, and they were, they were ready. They had some food there. So we started talking. After that, this guy had been blessed with an incredible mind and had an, had an ability to create these businesses and do all this stuff. And so he said, I want to show you around. So we got in his car, and we started driving from place to place to place. And we'd stop and look at it and talk. We sat down at one point, and we're looking uh, at each other across the table. And I just kept hearing the Spirit say, now, now share the message. And so I I told him, hey, you've been so kind to us. There's no way that we can ever repay you. But I want to share something with you that is far better than any money could ever buy. And I started to tell him about the way that Jesus had changed and transformed my life. And I shared the gospel with him. He started to tear up. When I was done sharing, he said, I am an empty box. I have all of this, and yet I have nothing. And then he kind of shook it off. And he said, let's go to the next place. So we went to the next place. We ended up, at the end of the day, it's nighttime, we're back at his place, and we're talking again. He's telling me about some of the things he had done for God. I've given this money, or I've given this. And I said, it seems like you're saying, God, you can have this, but I'm going to keep this. And God's saying, I want you to say you can have it all. He said, oh, I need a cigarette. And he went off and got a cigarette. (laughs) Before we left that night, I I said, can I pray with you? And And he looked at my wife, and he said, it's like he just kept looking into my heart and seeing inside. What I realize is often the way that we can tangibly meet needs, and this thing, the thing that started the whole bit off was offering to cover a ticket. That was it. And yet it opened the door for a message. Because he tells us that we are to share a message. No doubt about that. In verse 11, he says, speak it persuasively. In verse 20, he reminds us that it's God making his appeal through us. So speak it powerfully. In verse 20, he also says that we implore you be reconciled to God. Speak it passionately. But oftentimes, the thing that will open the door for that message, and it's always tied to the gospel, is the ministry the way we serve and tangibly take the needs of others and care for them. 
And he tells us that, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, making God making his appeal through us. It's not something we do on our own. The Holy Spirit who lives within us. Verse 1 of chapter 6 says, working together with him. The God that has saved us and reconciled us wants to come and work with us and through us into the lives of others to change and impact the world, not just here in Lincoln, but all around the world. We actually have an ability now to impact the world in ways that other generations have never seen. The access to be connected and know and impact the world is incredible. And God will take anyone who's ready to join him in that ministry of reconciliation to open the door for the message of reconciliation and use them. I'm reminded of that because back when my son was five years old, he's sitting at the dinner table. And as he's sitting there, everybody else is done eating and he's still going. He's lingering. It's taken forever. So I pulled out a classic parenting move that I learned never to do again. I was trying to encourage him. I was like, hey, we got dessert after. Finish it up. That wasn't working. So finally, I just said, there are starving kids in Africa that would love to have that food, right? And he kind of stops and he looks up. He said, really? We should send them this food. I thought, yeah, that doesn't work. We can't box that's one plate. It'll be rotten by the time it gets there. And so he continues to eat. And then he goes, well, well what's life like? I said, well, um, so I started just thinking through the different things that we had realized were a part of this life around the world. Maybe they all live in this small area. Maybe it's this tin shack or maybe it's this bamboo hut. Oftentimes with a dirt floor. There's no running water. You've got to go out and get water. There's no bathroom. There's no stove or refrigerator. You're, you're cooking over an open fire. And, and I continued to unpack this. And as I did, something must have worked because instantly he's chowing on his food. He's done and he goes back to his room. Then I hear him call out, Dad! I go in there and he's gotten this baggie. It was essentially his piggy bank. All the money that he had had filled with coins and pennies and nickels and a couple dollar bills that he'd been saving. He said, Dad, how much would it cost so that that kid could eat? I said, boy, a meal would probably be this much. And we started counting it out. And so I helped him. He wanted to count it out. So then we went and got an envelope and he put that in. And then as he was thinking through all the other things that he had, he said, how many shirts do I have? So he counted all the shirts in his closet. He said, I want him to have shirts. I want him to have that many shirts. And so he put some more money in the envelope. He realized he still had more, and this lit him up. He thought he could be generous, so he's like, I want him to have 2,000 shoes. And I'm like, well, that might be a little overboard, but he grabs a couple more handfuls of coins and puts it in there. And then he continued on. I want to do this. I want to do that. He's like, Dad, does he have a ceiling fan? I'm like, no, I don't know that he needs a ceiling fan. Let's go to bed now. By the end of it, he had dumped the entire baggie into this envelope. And so I'm walking out of his room now with this envelope, and I said, Julie, uh, we got to do something now. So we got online that night and we started to work through an organization to find somebody that fit kind of the story that we just painted and we started sponsoring them. And all of that came through the heart of a five-year-old that realized he had things that God could use through his life. Imagine what God could do through each one of us if we realized that we are a part of the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation. Now, I could continue to talk about this and what it means for each one of us, but imagine if we did it completely as an entire church. 
I think it would be way better to have Jason Harms, who's the pastor of our global engagement, come up and do that. So I'm just going to have him come up at this point right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, in global outreach, uh, we've been working to give you guys opportunities to engage in the work that God's doing around the world. Uh, we've tried to focus that in three specific areas. Uh, one would be through going, another one's through prayer, and the last one's through sponsorship. If you were here last week, Ryan talked a bit about going. You got those little uh, bookmarks, gave a lot of different trips. Uh, we've tried to ramp that up, give a lot of opportunities. It's been cool to see uh, people getting engaged in that. If you guys haven't ever gone on one, I would encourage you to start the conversation. Um, also, we've got prayer. A big piece of this is just letting you guys know what to pray for. I think there's sometimes just so many different things out there. You're like, where do I start? So whether that be in the back of the bulletin, letting you know different areas to pray for, uh, whether that be um, up here before we send teams out, giving you specifics, um, talking about our missionaries, different things like that. The last thing is sponsorship. And uh, this has been something that has taken um, a, almost two years for me to land the plane on. Um, and I'll explain why, because that's a long time. Um, a piece of this is, as Josh was just saying, one of our goals, it's not just sponsorship. It would be, what if we could get every single person in this church united for a common cause, a common vision, and something that we're going to be doing for years to come? Oh, wow, well, wouldn't that be cool? Because in the moments where historically our church has come together on things, we've been able to make some pretty large, uh, pretty large impact in different areas. So I want to talk with you guys a little bit about that. And in some of my research, trying to find an organization that could possibly help us with this, I ran upon Compassion. And this is a place that I had seen from, uh, from as a child, but I didn't really know anything about them. So I thought, all right, I want to learn more about this place. What would be the best way to do this? So I went on a vision trip with them. So I went to Peru. Uh, there was a couple other pastors from Kansas City that went with us as well. And this is just an opportunity to kind of see a little bit of everything they're doing. Um, one of the first things they did, uh, they brought us out to an area where uh, compassion had never been, brought us to a place where they've been for just a year, and then a place where we're on another trip where they'd uh, been there for longer. And I can stand here today before you guys and give testimony to the fact that an area where compassion has been for just a year is radically different than a place where they had never been. Um, and in one of the biggest ways that I've seen this is, uh, I don't know if you guys remember, one of the last prayer requests that I asked for before we went to Mumbai, I said, hey, could you pray that we would actually be able to feel the presence of God, like uh, that we would be able to see the footprints of God in the places that we're going, to be like, my, my dad's already been here, and we're walking in that path. Uh, those same feelings, that presence of God was very, uh, very much there in these places that I've been, and I, I love that piece of it. Um, so... Uh, I was like, well, that's really good. Uh, this, is, this is good stuff that I'm seeing, but if I'm going to be presenting this to you guys, I need to really vet this place and start asking some of the, the more difficult questions to really make sure this is a good place to, sponsor, or to work with. So I was asking a lot of the tougher questions, and these guys kept just nailing them. I was like, oh, okay, well, here we go. I, and I thought, well, I've got to keep asking deeper. How can, I, how can I do this? Well, I could look at a vision statement. I could look at a mission statement, but that doesn't necessarily mean that an organization is doing those things. Those are just good things that they say they want to do. I could talk with the employees that work there, but eh, you never know. But if you really want to know what an organization's like, you ask those that they're serving. So who would that be for compassion? 
Well, that would be a sponsored child. So I thought, well, how in the world am I going to get to a sponsored child? And how am I going to go about asking them these questions? Um, well, we're on this trip, and uh, we're having lunch. And all of a sudden, these college-age students come in. Like, who are they? Like, oh, well, those are actually students who had been sponsored at a very young age, and now they're volunteering, and they want to give back. That alone to me was like, oh, that's a pretty good testament that they're wanting to continue to do this. But this was also the moment. I'm like, oh, man, this is the moment. I, like, I want to have a conversation with these guys and ask some of these tougher questions. Well, there was another pastor there uh, from Kansas City. Um, I'm just going to call him Pastor Jim. Pastor Jim and I were sitting there talking about this, and he kind of shared the same sentiment. He's like, man, we need to be able to ask these tougher questions. And we were like, kind of you know, talking about this, and it was like one thing led to another, and it almost turned into this interrogation process that we had like, planned. Well, when the girl, there was a girl that was across from us. She got up, and she went to the other side of the table and went back to the back of the room to go throw a plate away. And Jim looked over at me. He's like, dude. This is the moment. Let's do this. And I'm like, okay, here we go. And uh, then he looks over to me and he's like, you're good cop. I'm bad cop. Let's go. And I'm like, uh-oh. Jim kind of kicks his chair back and he walks over. He starts walking. He walks over to this girl. He pulls out his phone, turns on the light on the phone and shines it in her eyes. And he's like, I need to know everything. I need to know what you guys are doing. I need to know where all the money's going. I need to know, like, what are you being taught? And I was like, Jim, we can't do this. And he goes, you play your role. You're the good cop. I'm the bad Guys, you can't be laughing. That's a complete joke. We didn't do that. I don't know why you're laughing. That's messed up. That's, that's bad. We don't... <laughs> why are you laughing? Um, no, we didn't. that's not at all what happened. That would be terrible. Um, I'm just waking you up. Uh, actually, what happened was the complete opposite. We walked over to that girl to have a conversation with her, and if she had a light, she would have shined it on old Jimbo's face. This was so good. So we walked over there and she looked at Jim and she, she goes, hey Jim, so how many kids do you sponsor? Like, well, okay. Just switched it around. But I don't know if you heard the intonation of my voice there. It was more of like a, hey Jim, how many kids do you get to sponsor? Well, Jim was in pastor research mode and he's like, well, we're, you know, checking compassion. We just want to make sure that they're doing what they actually say they're doing. We want to make sure these kids are, you know, getting their, their meals, and we're going to make sure that this is more of like, you know, what's the plan for these kids? What's going to be happening? And I could just see it in her eyes. It's like, blah, 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 blah. And she, she interrupts him. And this is, this is very countercultural. Like, you would not interrupt somebody who's older than you, a pastor, different things like that. She interrupts and says, sorry, Pastor Jim, i got to ask you something. My life has been transformed because somebody sponsored me. Why wouldn't you sponsor somebody if you know that you could change their life? It was like, whoa. Uh, and that was the moment I kind of kicked my chair to her side of the interrogation table. And I'm like, yeah, Pastor Jim, you dumbo. Like, call yourself a pastor. Let's see. Let's go. But here's the thing. It wasn't a rhetorical question. She was genuinely interested. So she sat there and just looked at him. Jim kind of was like, whoa. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. I think I'm, I'm going to do this. Like, I, don't, I have n nothing that I could say otherwise. She continued and she pushed one more question that when you're in a place like this, um, in, in Nicaragua, in this very specific area, or in Peru, in this very specific area that we were in, she goes, hey, I got to ask another question. I've never been to America, but from whatever, everything I see, it seems like you guys are so blessed. Like, why doesn't everybody sponsor, like, why didn't everybody sponsor children? Wow. That was a sobering question. 
Jim kind of looked at me, and I looked at him, and I was like, well, what am I going to say? Oh, because my PlayStation View account costs about $40, and ugh, I don't know, or I don't know, like, I'm too lazy to, like, set my, like, uh, my coffee timer to make coffee the night before, and so I go and, you know, go pick it up, and eventually that'll end up being the same. I could, I could give a million reasons, right? But none of them seemed to hold any water in that moment. I was like, Wow. From that moment forward, I was like, man, I, she was a testimony to me. She was like, this is, this is the real deal. Like, I love what they're doing. And we're like, let's, let's move forward with this. So I talked with compassion. I said, here's what we're doing as a church. Here's what I am wanting to be able to offer to our people to get them engaged. Here are the different ways we're doing it. Here's, like, the structure. I said, what can we do that would be helpful? Like, is it, could, could we do a partnership here? So they took it back to their team, and they came up with this. They said, hey, okay, we've got this place that we think would be perfect for you guys. It's in Nicaragua. It's an area called Rivas, R-I-V-A-S, Rivas. Uh, if you want to say it a little bit like Rivas, it's kind of fun. Since Josh already did this, I'm going to have you guys do it too. I'm gonna say, we're going to say Rivas, right? If you want to get a little Rivas in it, go ahead. It's on three. One, two, three. Rivas, right? Okay. It's kind of a fun one to say. We'll get it in your mind. Um, so why Rivas? Why? Um, Rivas is a beautiful area. It's an area that's, uh, because of that, it's growing in tourism, and an area where there is um, extreme poverty and where tourism and wealth come together, oftentimes the very first area that gets exploited are children. And um, on many of the mission trips uh, that I've gone on and, and different ones that we have, one of the, one of, most of the time we're working with people who are older and who are adults who have kind of been exploited as a child. And it breaks my heart in these areas. Yes, we believe like in the power of prayer and, and we're doing that. Yes, we believe that if we go on these trips, it's really helpful and effective. But I'll tell you what, in many of these situations, especially if you go on any of these other trips, I would die for an opportunity to go back 10 years, 20 years in these individuals' lives and say, I wish I could have done something so that you had hope. And this is the opportunity that's getting presented before us. So I asked them, I said, well, how many kids are we talking in this Rivas area? Because this would be a partnership we're going to have for the foreseeable future. And, uh, and he said, well, there's, there's 800 kids in this area. I thought, wow. First off, it breaks my heart to know that there's 800 kids just in this area. That in a situation where they're at, it's a pretty, pretty critical need. But then I thought, wow, what opportunity that is. I have a lot of people who talk with me from here who say, man, Jason, I just wish I knew of a place that was a trusted place where I could invest my money in things that have eternal value. I said, well, here's 800 of those for you. This is where I come to the church. One of the most beautiful things about the church is the unity. Josh mentioned this too. This is one of the things I've been looking for is if we can come together for a united, focused vision, this church can move mountains through the blessings that God can do through us. So on a weekend like this, it's possible. It's absolutely possible. It, it, it's, God, it's a God-sized ask. What if we could like, eradicate that issue this weekend for these 800 kids? That would be a miracle. What stuck to me personally, as I thought through this and kind of prayed about it, there was a number that specifically stuck, and it's 600 kids. This is the ask. I'm hoping to get 600 kids. I've been praying about this for weeks. Because if we could get 600 kids, it would double our 
children's ministry in one weekend. That doesn't kind of give you a little chills. Come on, wake up a little. If we could double a children's ministry in one weekend by doing that, think if somebody came to church next weekend, they walked in and they were like, hey, I'd love to see your children's ministry. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. And they're like, how many kids go here? And you're like, well, 1,200. And they walk down, they're like, there's no 1,200 kids here. And you say, oh, my bad. That's because 600 of them are in Nicaragua. Like, that's the kind of church. That's when we say we are a church, we want to engage in the work God's doing around the world. Man, that's a church that's globally minded in that sense. So, I also understand one other thing I want, I want to flip this. We're going to give you guys an opportunity here um, to, to be able to possibly sponsor a kid. But I do want to say something before I go there. I do not, by any means, want this to be a, like, like a shame thing of like, oh, I feel like I need to sponsor because of that, or, or, or some kind of a guilt message that I'm giving, or, or wow, Jason's really trying to sell me. That is not it, and I want to take the wind out of that. What I want is to present an opportunity for you guys. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to give opportunities across the board for you guys to be able to engage in. And I think this is a great opportunity, and that's why I'm presenting it to you today. And I, think there, I know there's those of you who already sponsor kids. I know there's people who sponsor 7, 8, 9, 10 kids. You can't even see the front of the refrigerator. <laughs> like, that's real. I know there's people out there. I know there's people in certain situations where it's like, I'm, I'm tapped out. I can't, I can't give anymore. But I also know that there are those of us who God has blessed tremendously. And I think very specifically, if we don't compare ourselves to each other and we compare ourselves to the other side of the world, we realize how blessed we really are. So here's what I want you guys to do. I'm going to invite the ushers to come out. I'm going to talk through this. Every single person is, is going to hand this back in, okay? So regardless, this is where I'm not going to, I don't want the shame thing. I don't want any of that. We're doing this very specifically. Um, every single person is going to hand this back in. So I need every person to have this. So if you didn't get one of these, go ahead and put your hand up and the ushers will give you this so I can at least walk you through it. It doesn't mean you're going to sponsor a child. Also, if there's any of you who are like, man, I, I want to sponsor several children, go ahead and put your hand up and, and just let the usher know like, hey, I'd, I'd like another one of these. Um, and I'm going to walk you through what this looks like. If you want to see like an usher fall over, be like, I need 10 and see what happens. It'll be kind of funny. We'll help them up. <clears throat> um, okay, so some of you guys are probably looking around when you walked in. You're like, oh, man, I got the cutest girl here. This is awesome. And then you looked over and you're like, oh, they have that one too. Um, we are doing this for a very specific reason. Everybody has the same face on there. Um, why? What we want is that you guys aren't um, motivated to do this by out of looking how cute a child is, but rather we're doing this out of an obedience and, and, and a walk. Like God's calling me to do this, so I'm going to walk by faith and move into this. And, um, and there's a number on here that corresponds to a child. And you guys will get introduced to who that is here in just a little bit. It's a really neat thing. But at this point, we'd rather it be something of, I'm going to walk by faith. This is something I feel like God is calling me, and I want to be part of this vision in, in moving forward. Also know that if you do sponsor a child, you will be able to visit them on a trip if you ever come on one of these trips with us. It's kind of the icing on the cake. It's pretty cool. Um, so here's how this works. Top part, you'll just check that sponsorship. Then you'll go through, you'll write your first name, your last name, Address, city, state, zip, telephone, and email. You guys can walk through that. You'll fill that out. The stuff on that left-hand side there or right-hand side is exactly what I'm talking about. You don't need to worry about that. So you just fill out that front side. Then on the back, on the top, it tells a little bit about what it offers, what the, the sponsorship provides. But then on the bottom here, there's the payment. 
So you just check that little box, credit debit card, put your first name, your last name, your card number, and expiration date. Pretty simple. So that's kind of how that works. I'm going to invite the band to come on up here. We're going to give you guys uh, just a couple minutes to kind of process through this, to fill this thing out. When I come back up, I will kind of explain what the next steps are. Like I said, every single person, whether you sponsor a child or not, you're going to put these in some buckets that are some boxes that are going to go around, and I'll explain that in a second. And that's also the time where you guys will get to meet who this who this child is. So we'll give you about three minutes to kind of work through this, and I'll come back up here in a second. I know a couple of you guys might still be uh, filling those out. Um, okay, so here's how we're going to do this. Um, I'll invite the ushers to come on down. They have some boxes. Bear with them as they're, we're trying to figure out how to pass around these boxes to help them out. But if you sponsored a child, again, go ahead and take this thing, and you're going to rip it apart just like me, like that. You're going to hold on to this piece that has the girl's face on it because that has a code on there. And then you're going to uh, – and, and go, don't pass those through yet. Just hold on to those boxes. One second, one second. If you have, just hold on to that. Um, sorry. You ushers, you're killing it. You guys are doing good. You're good. Um, all right. Go ahead and pop up on the screen, um, the slide here. This is – if you sponsored a child – this is what you're going to do. So you're going to go ahead and take that code or that number. You're going you're to text to that number the code that's on the bottom here. So go ahead and do that real quick. And you can go to that next slide here. You can show kind of what this looks like. So this is what will pop back. So go ahead and give it a second here. So there is that code. It's in the middle here, the 83393. Or that number. Sorry, I keep messing that up. And then... If you go through that, then there will be that little link, and you click on that little link, and here's my kid. Here's Joseph, like cutest kid ever. It's like that parent thing, I think, if, whether he's the cutest or not, I think he is. Um, so that's kind of how that works. So again, as you guys are, are getting to see who these children are, it's a pretty cool moment. Um, we're going we're gonna to pass those boxes through. Again, take this piece, put it in there. If you guys didn't sponsor, just take that whole thing and put it in there as well. And then uh, go ahead and keep this side for those that did. Um, and uh, yeah, we're, we're just going to take a little bit of time to worship here um, uh, as, as our children's ministry uh, continues to grow. So thanks, guys.